Everybody doing okay today? I've made a football crack the last couple weeks, and I'm not going to do that today. I just, I'm not. There's too many SEC fans that are in mourning today, and so I'm not going to do that, but I will say Rocky Top. All right, so Friday night, my wife and I and some friends of ours uh, from, from our campus here, we went to a concert downtown Atlanta. Um, we went to uh, see a guy by the name of Ben Rector. Um, ben is a singer-songwriter. Uh, I say Ben like we're friends now, but... Um, yeah, my buddy Ben is a singer-songwriter, uh, kind of this pop folk genre, I guess, but uh, really great, really talented. I found him a couple years ago on YouTube, and super, super talented guy, and so I've been tracking with him, and I bought some albums and all kinds of things, and so uh, in the spring, Corey and I went to see him in concert uh, down at Center Stage, which is a really cool venue, and then we heard not too long after that that he had a new album coming out, and with that new album was a new tour, and the new tour would bring him back to Atlanta to the venue the tabernacle i don't know if you've ever been there it's a really cool place to watch a concert and so we went and so i wanted to give you a little taste of who ben rector is so in case you've never heard of him which is probably most of you in the room um you can watch this this is not one of his original songs this is a cover tune so you may know this song um, but they did this towards the end of the concert and it's pretty good and i shot this so be amazed by the videography okay good right after the concert we went outside and met him uh and i'm showing you this picture so that if you ever hear rumors that Corey left me you'll know who she left me for because she is mildly obsessed with this guy all right uh, but it's also a good excuse just to show you how good looking my wife is. But uh, anyway, so we had a blast. We had a lot of fun. We took Trevor Heinlein with us. Trevor's our student ministries pastor here at the Canton campus. And Trevor was standing out there with us waiting. And he met Ricky, this homeless man. And, and Ricky wanted his picture taken. And so Ben, my buddy Ben, who we went to see in concert, was like, let's not smile for this picture. Ricky and Trevor, let's just make like a face. And this is Trevor's like mean face, which to me is hilarious. There's so much about that picture that's hilarious, but uh, yeah, so Trevor went with us, but we had a blast, and, and during the concert, um, it was interesting to me, um, I was listening to the music, it was incredible music, I really liked, I liked the music, um, I was standing next to my wife, I was, we were enjoying the experience together, and we were standing with friends, we were enjoying the experience together, and, and at one point in between songs, I don't know if you've ever been to a concert where, much like Sean does sometimes in between songs, he may say something to kind of either set up the next song or to kind of let us know how we got to where we're at and that kind of thing. So in this concert, he did that. Ben, ben did that. And he was talking about how amazing the environment was that we were in that night. He was talking about the venue and he said, you know, I came to Atlanta in the spring to center, the center stage. And he said, we had a blast. And he sold that venue out that night in the spring, center stage. I don't know how many it seats, but he sold it out. And so um, he said, while we were here in Atlanta, they said, hey, when you come back in the fall, we want you to think about coming to the tabernacle. And this was exactly what he said. He said, no way. There's no way I could do that. There's no way enough people would come that it wouldn't be awkward. He said, I didn't. This is what he said in the concert. I didn't feel like we would have enough people to line the front row in front of the stage. 
Now, the place was packed. It seats about 2,600 people, and I think it was completely full. And so my first thought, okay, I've been thinking about humility all week because that's what we're talking about. My first thought is, man, that guy is so humble. I mean, he, there's 3,000 people here almost that came. They paid money. I paid money to come listen to this guy sing. That, that guy is really humble that he didn't think people would come and sit. In, and then, then I thought, or is he? Is this just a part of the game he plays to make us think he's humble? He, he, is he doing, and I've heard this phrase, I don't know if you've ever heard this before. Is he doing what I've heard called a, a humble brag? You ever heard that phrase? You know what I'm talking about? Humble brag is defined by the UrbanDictionary.com as subtly letting others know how fantastic your life is while undercutting it with a bit of self-effacing humor or woe is me gloss. I want to give you a couple of examples of this that I actually found online and I love this. You just type in humble brag and things like this come up. This is, this is an example. This will not be on the screen. Uh, I just ate about 15 pieces of chocolate. I got to learn how to control myself when flying first class or they'll cancel my modeling contract. So you see what I did right there? I have a modeling contract, but I don't want you to know about that. So I'm letting you know I ate chocolate and then working in the flying first class because of the modeling contract. Here's another one that I, I thought was hilarious. Oh, your inflatable inner tube is way cooler than my 80-foot yacht. You get to be so much closer to the water and to nature. I envy you. I really, really do. Right? This is, this is not humility. This is called humble brag. I mean, I'm being humble by working in a little bit of bragging about something that I have or something that I do. So I'm thinking maybe Ben, my buddy Ben, I'm thinking maybe he's, he's wanting me to think he doesn't feel like he could fill up the venue. Even though he sold out center stage, which was like more than a thousand people. So it, probably a thousand people are going to come. So like he could fill up a third of the room. Now, I don't even think I'd have enough to like be in front of the stage. And maybe he meant it. He seems like a very genuinely humble, humble man, at least according to my wife. But I don't know. I don't know if it was humility or if it was humble brag. And I don't know if you're guilty of that. I know sometimes I am. If I have something that I want you to know about that I'm really excited about that I've accomplished or I've done or I have, I'm trying to think, how can I work this into the conversation in the least awkward way possible where people don't think I am trying to get everybody to look at how awesome I am? And I know you don't do that, but sometimes I'm trying to work it in, right? I'm trying to work in to the conversation how it is. Because I don't want to humble brag. I want you to think that I'm actually just humble. Humility, this idea of humility or being humble, it's actually defined. And I didn't get this from UrbanDictionary.com. I actually got this from a much more reputable source. This is what it says. It says, having or showing a low estimate of one's own importance, of low rank, of modest pretensions or dimensions. Which I like that last one. That just kind of has a repetition to it. Of modest pretensions or dimensions. So when I read that, it was a little different than I actually thought the definition would be. Because I didn't necessarily think that humility had to mean that you had this low rank of yourself. I thought it might just be something that was more like a proper understanding of who you were. But the actual definition of humility is that you have a low estimate of your own importance or a modest pretension or dimension about who you are and where you fit in all this. If you look at the Old Testament idea of humility, the Old Testament's the first part of the Bible. You look at the Old Testament idea of humility, the word that's used for humility is similar to the word that's used for being afflicted. It's not really something that you attained to necessarily. It was something that you got or that you had that, that really kind of pressed you down, right? So this idea of humility is, is really to kind of keep you down. That The opposite of humility would obviously be something like pride. 
It would be something where building you up, boasting, kind of being proud. And I'm not saying like, oh, my kid made a good score on their test. I'm really proud of them. But more a self-pride that's the opposite of self-humility here and understanding who we are. And the Bible talks a lot about humility. The Bible talks a lot about pride. It talks about arrogance. It talks about really this understanding of who you are in light of everybody else. And as we look in this series, we're, we're in week two here of a series called Blueprint for Life, where we, we're really working through um, passages from the book of James. James was the half-brother of Jesus, and he wrote a letter. It was the earliest writing in the New Testament that we have, closest to the actual days that Jesus lived. And he wrote a letter... And so we have that, and it really gives us some incredible foundational principles about how we should live. And today I want us to look at James chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, you can flip there. We're going to look at this idea of humility uh, found in James chapter 4. There are other references. Right in James chapter 1, there is a reference to humility and being humble. Um, James chapter 2 starts about our interaction with other people and seeing them and kind of figuring out who's rich and who's poor and what they have and what they don't have. And so there is some things that connect there to the idea of humility. There's things in chapter three, chapter four, and chapter five about humility. So James, it lays out a lot like Proverbs. And there are these little short teachings, these little short things that you can apply to your life. But I want us to start today in James chapter four, verse six, and it's going to be on the screen. This is what it says. Therefore, beginning in the, the little bit, the middle there of verse six, therefore, it says God op- opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This, this, therefore, it says refers to the idea that this phrase here is found in more than one place in scripture. It's also found in a letter written by Peter, the book of first Peter chapter five, you see this same phrase and both of them are referring to a similar phrase found in Proverbs chapter three. Proverbs 3, I believe it's in verse 24. There is a phrase that's not word for word of this, but similar enough that James and Peter would uh, refer to that so that we would understand that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Verse 10 of James chapter 4, if you just skip a few verses ahead, say this. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So clearly there is a truth here that God has interaction with both proud people and humble people, right? He has interaction with both of those and he engages both of them in different ways and he responds to them in different ways. So if we read in verse six where it says uh, he opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, I know which side of that equation I want to be on. I don't want to be on the side of the equation that God is opposing me. I want to be on the side where God's giving something to me, giving grace to me. It says that in verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So if I try to make myself exalted, I don't find anything there. But if I humble myself, then God exalts me. And so we see that God has interaction and he has response to these two different types of people. I want grace, so I want to be humble. I guess I want to be exalted in some way. I think we all have that at some in some level of our core. I want to be exalted. So to do that, I have to be humble, not just in the book of James, but in the book of Matthew, chapter 23. And you don't have to flip there because we're just going to be there for a second. But Matthew, chapter 23 and 12 says this, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So this is even clearer than verse 10 of James chapter 4. Because now I see that there is a response to both types of people, and it's the opposite response of what they're seeking. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And so if you kind of look at it on some scale, if I try to go up, I'm pushed down. If I put myself down, I am pushed up. 
That, that seems totally counterintuitive to me, right? It seems opposite of anything that makes sense. Except that God is the one who is doing the rewarding. He is the one who's doing the exalting. And so if I understand that it's not my job, it's not my responsibility to exalt myself, to lift myself up, then I, I guess I can find a way to be a little more humble. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. It's interesting to me that Jesus talked a lot about this mindset. He talked a lot. If you read through the Gospels, there are a lot of examples of him personally doing this, and then not just him doing it, but how he taught us to interact with other people. He talks a lot about humbling ourselves. He talks a lot about not just humbling ourselves, but how we are to humble ourselves by becoming a servant, by serving others. There's this interesting picture. We, we do communion. We take communion together, uh, really the, the first Sunday of, of, of most months. And interesting to me in the story of that first communion moment, that first last supper, if you will, um, is this really cool picture of Jesus in the room with his disciples. His life is coming to a close. It's coming to an end. You and I know that because we're looking back on the event. They're in the moment looking ahead to an unknown, uncertain future. And Jesus in that moment has the opportunity to provide for them an incredible sense of clarity about what the future is going to hold. He has this incredible ability. He has the opportunity to say to these men who have committed the last couple years of their life to serving him, walking with him, listening to his teachings, watching the incredible miracles that are taking place. He has a moment there. He has an opportunity where all eyes are on him. And I heard a man say one time at at a leadership conference I was at, if you're ever the most important person in the room. You know it because all eyes turn to you when they need that last answer. They need that. We've talked about it. We've discussed it. Maybe it's in a board meeting at your job. Maybe it's kind of a family discussion around the table. Somebody's got to make the final say. Somebody's got to have that last word that sets the course. Okay, when we leave here, we're going to go and do this. And Jesus finds himself in that place where he is the most important person in the room in that moment at the Last Supper because all eyes are on him. And what does Jesus do in that moment? He humbles himself. He gets up from the table. He takes a towel and some water. And he kneels down and he begins to wash the feet of his disciples. And Peter, oh, don't we love Peter? Because he says what all of us are thinking. Peter says, no, master, I can't let you do this. I cannot let you serve me. I can't let you wash my feet. I'm unworthy of that. Let me wash your feet. I mean, he's trying to reverse the roles here. And Jesus won't allow him to do it because in that moment where everybody thought Jesus would be about the power and the authority of being the most important person in the room, Jesus instead chose not to exalt himself, but to lower himself in humility to serve those in the room looking to him. And I wonder how you and I respond when others are looking to us. Maybe we're not the most important person in the room. Maybe we're just a person in the room. Maybe we're not the guy at the end of the conference table that makes all the decisions, but maybe we've got a seat at the table. Maybe we're not the head of the household and whatever that looks like in your family context, but we sit around that dinner table. How do we respond in those moments when we have an opportunity to exalt ourselves. When we have the opportunity to make it about us. 
Are we strong enough to make it about others? That's the example that Jesus gave to us. In the moment where everybody's looking at us, are we willing to deflect attention towards someone else? I believe that's humility. I believe it's willing to make it about others when others want to make it about us. Willing to make it about others when others want to make it about us. That is humility. It's finding a way to deflect, to leverage those moments for the sake of someone else. Not in a humble brag kind of way. Not doing it while tweeting about it. Look what I'm doing here. I'm washing his feet. Instagram tag servant heart, right? Right? Not humble brag. Humility. Humility. Making it about others when others want to make it about you. So throughout this series, we are going to kind of give some plans of action, some action steps, some ways that we can actually take what we're hearing and apply it to our life. If this is a blueprint for life, we want to take these things and actually apply them to our lives in some really cohesive way so that we know how we are to live. And so to do that, I want to pivot to another passage of scripture very quickly. So if you got your Bibles, flip to the book of Philippians. If you need to, you can go to your table of contents in the front. your Bible. You bought it. You can use it, okay? Um, you can search it in your iPhone, iPad, Droid, whatever you have. Book of Philippians, there in the New, Teth- Test- New Testament. Um, the New Testament. It's a letter to a church in this city, Philippi. And this letter is, is uh, it's chock full of unbelievable stuff. But we want to read from Philippians chapter 2 today. We're going to read about eight verses together that give us an incredible picture of this servanthood, humble spirit that Jesus had and then really how we can apply it to our lives. So this is just some some things that we can do to really become a little more humble in a genuine, authentic way. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. Here's what it says. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, parts of this passage you've probably heard before. Different pieces of that, maybe the last piece, about how every knee would bow at the name of Jesus um, every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Maybe you've heard that. Maybe you've heard the, 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 the part here that says, uh, after being found in, in, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Maybe you've heard the, the, the very first verse that we read, do nothing with selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Well, I, parts of this you may have heard in other, other ways. 
But if you take all of this passage together, I think it gives you and I a really, really clear picture about how we can begin to demonstrate, and not just demonstrate externally, but really internally begin to form a spirit that is humble, that has this humility. Not a false sense of humility, not humble brag all the time, but really a sense that I can be a humble person by looking to this passage of Scripture. And it's found really in three things, not because I'm a preacher and I always need three things, but there's just three things that I think jump out here to me. The first is this. If I want to be humble, I've got to regularly turn my attention toward others. We've already talked about this a little bit today, and so I don't want to, I don't want to really hit this a lot. But verses, the end of verse 3 and verse 4 that we just read in Philippians 2 say this, But in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. I believe that self Focus, And I don't say just thinking about yourself because that's a natural part of the way we're wired. But I'm talking about self-focus where the only thing that I'm focused on the majority of the time is me and how things affect me and my wants and my desires and me and me and more of me. Self-focus is the number one enemy to humility. I believe that with all of my heart. I, I find myself guilty of that a lot. I am less humble the more I'm thinking about me. Why? Because I'm now focused on me and what I'm achieving and what I'm attaining and what I'm doing and what I'm needing. And so my attention is not on others. It's on me. Now, interestingly to me, in in verse four of what we read, it says, let each of you look not only to his own interest. It's not saying we can't consider our own interests. It's just saying we can't consider our own interests only. So he says, not only our own interests, but also to the interests of others. There is this idea that we have to put those two side by side and find the correct balance in looking out for ourselves and our interests and looking out for the interests of others. I'm not talking about making ourselves somebody that they just walk over, that everybody gets their way except us. Where do you want to eat? And we always say, I don't care where we eat. You eat where you want to eat. No, tell them where you want to eat, man. Food's awesome, right? So you get to tell your interests from time to time, but you've got to do it in a way that also takes into account the interests of others. The the, the second portion of Jesus' answer to a guy that walked up and said, what's the most important thing? I mean, what's the most important commandment? What did he say? He said, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor. Right? And he stopped right there and he put a period on it. No. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's a piece of me in how I'm able to love my neighbor. I think if you, can, if you could even possibly attain being 0% self-focused, it would be unhealthy. Because I think then you would be detrimental to who God created you to be. I think there's finding that balance of saying, I'm looking not only to my own interests, but also to the interests of others. I've got to find that balance of how God views me and how God views others. Of how I view me and how I view others. So I've got to regularly turn my attention toward others. The second thing is this. Find ways to give your life away for the sake of others. Now that may sound like the same thing, but it's not. Because it's one thing for me to consider you. It's another thing for me to do something for you. Or do something on your behalf. Or do something because it's good for you. Right? So it's a different thing to consider you or to turn my attention towards you, but then to create some action step out of the way that I live toward you to actually do something for you and on your behalf. Verses 7 and 8 of what we read in Philippians 2 say this, but emptied himself, talking about Jesus, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient 
to the point of death, even death on a cross. Couple things here. Don't be afraid. I'm not telling you to go and get a cross and, and, and do something harmful to you or others that you know. By the way, doesn't that cross look amazing back there? We showed up to the school this morning. Just an aside here. So just if you're ADD, you're going to get lost right here. But everybody else, hang with me. I'm a little ADD this morning, and I apologize. Um, we showed up to school this morning. I did. I showed up, and the officer was here to unlock the school and let us in. It was a little bit about 7.30, 7.40, I guess. And there was a cro- that cross just sitting right in front of the door. Just sitting right in front of the door of the school with a note on it as a gift to us. And so if you did it or you know who did it, thank you so much. It's beautiful, and, and we, we love it. And that's awesome. Can we give them a hand, whoever did that? That's great. It's beautiful. So now let's jump back in. All the ADD folks, just circle back in about three minutes. We'll just hang right here with you, okay? But here's what it says. Jesus, and I love this word that's in here. It says he humbled himself by, you know what the next word is? Becoming. Sometimes when I read the stories or the examples of Jesus Christ, I think he just had it from birth, right? I just think he was like, because he was God, he just was always obedient. I have to believe that four-year-old Jesus is a lot like four-year-old Tucker Isaacs. I've got to believe that there's a little bit of that in him. It's the only way it makes sense to me, right? But I think there's a little bit of, of me in this. That obedience doesn't come naturally to us. And so Jesus, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. By transitioning into a state of being obedient. So you're sitting here this morning and you're going, yeah, I mean, okay, turn my attention towards others. I think I can do that. I'll just think about other people a little more often. Finding ways to give your life away for the sake of others. Jesus did it by going and dying on a cross so that you and I could sit here this morning and sing the songs that we've sung. And have the opportunity to fully receive the salvation and grace that we sang about earlier. And it actually means something. That's how he humbled himself. How you doing? Right? How am I doing? How, how am I giving my life away? How am I finding money, time, energy, and not spending it all on me, but finding ways to turn that toward other people? Giving part of me away for the sake of other people. How how am I doing in that? Not just thinking about others, not just turning my attention there, but giving my life away. So here's a question for you. Here's Here's a filter by which you can kind of grade yourself. Don't answer this out loud. It would hurt a lot of us, me included. How can I serve the people in my life? How can I serve the people in my life? How can I serve my family members that live under my roof? How can I serve my family members that don't live under my roof, thank God? Right? How can I serve the people on my job? How can I serve the people in this community? How can I serve the people in this room? How can I take a part of my life and give it away for the sake of others? Now, an easy way, you could just go and click on a cause and give them $10, text a five-digit number, and it's added to your cell phone bill, and you gave part of your life away. But what did that really cost you? Would you even know it? All those things are great, 
But I'm saying I, I want to look inside me in this developing sense of humility, in this becoming obedient, becoming humble. How am I serving the people in my life? I think the way that I can know that, because right now you may be struggling to come up with an answer. The way I can do that is jumping back to number one, turning my attention toward them. What do they need? If I look at them, what needs do they have that I might can meet? There may be people in your life. I would, I would, I'm not even gonna say may, I'm just gonna declare it and hope it's true. There are people in your life who don't need you to brag on you anymore. They need you to brag on them. Their biggest need is that they need words of affirmation from somebody outside of their own head. You serving them would be noticing what they do that nobody else notices and walking up to them and saying, thank you for what you just did. Thank you. Parents that have kids that are already grown, walk up to a young parent and just love on them. Just tell them that sleep will eventually come back to them. Okay? Tell them it's going to be okay when their kids are crazy at the restaurant. You don't even know them. You just watch their kids go crazy and you watch mom and dad panic and, you know, ask for the check early before either one of them had eaten and just walk up to them and say, it's okay. It's okay. It's all right. Nobody in this restaurant's going to remember after you leave. Sit and eat. Right? Walk up to somebody on your job that has gotten passed over for the promotion time and time and time again. And they're struggling to think, does anybody in this building even know what I do? And tell them that you know what they do. Look around you. Turn your attention toward others. Find a need. And go meet it. Let's go serve some other people. Let's find... The needs of those around us in our homes, on our jobs, in our schools, in this community, in this room. Don't rush out today. Talk to somebody. Introduce yourself to them. Build a relationship. Turn your attention toward them for a moment. And see if there's a piece of your life that you could give away for their sake. Number three. Recognize your role. Recognize your role. Verses 9, 10, and 11 of Philippians chapter 2 end like this. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's the reality for you and I. We keep trying to make a name for ourselves, And guess what we find out right here? There's only one name that matters. Recognize your role. If you get every promotion you've desired, if I get every want that I have in my whole life, if I get a bonus check and a raise, if my kids are the best kids ever and people walk up to me in restaurants, not to tell me it's okay, but to tell me, oh my God, you have angels eating among you here, right? It don't matter. There's only one name that matters. And it's not, Mine. The name that is above every name is the name Jesus Christ the Lord. And even his name is subject to something else because it ends for the glory of God the Father. 
even Jesus being exalted served a greater purpose. So here's the question for me and you. When I'm exalted, what purpose does it serve? When I'm exalted, when people raise me up, you raise me up, right? When they raise me up, some of you were asleep. I had to get your attention. When they raise me up, what's for the, what's the greater good? What purpose does it serve except that I'm now raised up? Or is there some way that I can leverage the moment of being exalted for the glory of Of God the Father. I don't know about you. When when I watch famous people start their acceptance speech. Thank you Jesus for the opportunity to do what I did. Amen. And then they go on and do something else. I am a little hesitant to believe that they actually mean it. I am a terrible person. I get that. Okay. Thank God I'm not the judge. Okay. But how do I respond when all the eyes are on me? What do I lead with? What are the first words out of my mouth? When everybody turns their attention to me. When everybody's looking at me. What do I do? Do I humble myself for the sake of others? Or do I turn the attention of the moment toward the Father? Really, that's what humility is. Humility is understanding that it's not about me anyway. It's about Him. And He allows me to make it about them. It's not about me. It's about Him. And He allows me to make it about them. I think that's why we exist. I believe with all of my heart that humility is best exemplified through service. It's best exemplified through my heart to serve God for His glory and His honor as I serve those around me. But here's the tension. Here's the ugly truth this morning, okay? This is what you came for right here. The more humble you become, the more people want to raise you up. And you've got to be more and more and more humble. And then they tell you how humble you are and they keep raising you up. And you just got to keep, no, no, it's, it's not about me. And they're like, but you're so great. But it's not about me. But you're awesome. But it's not about me. And if you're not careful, and if you're not becoming obedient, and becoming humble, and constantly working at this, you will begin to believe them when they tell you how great you are. I will begin to believe it. When you walk out the door and tell me I'm the best preacher you've ever heard, you're a bunch of liars, right? It's not about me. It's not about you. The more I make it about others, the more people try to make it about me. The more you make it about him, the more people want to make it about you. Humility is making it about others when others want to make it about you.
It's finding moments where I can serve the needs of those around me. It's finding a way to turn my attention toward others and off of me. And then in that moment, recognizing the needs that they have, seeing what's going on in their life and realizing that there's probably something I have or can do that meets the needs that I've identified when I turned my attention towards them. But in doing all those things, I have to recognize that it's still not about me. It's not about making a name for myself. It's about lifting high the name of Jesus Christ for the glory of God the Father. So here's the challenge. Turn your attention towards others. Find ways to give your life away for the sake of others and recognize your role. Here's kind of the bottom line. Here's the crux of it for every one of us in this room as we walk out the doors. When you leave today and you interact with people at lunch or at your house or you go to work tomorrow or you go to school tomorrow, I want you to do this. I want you to say a prayer. As you're walking out, you get in your car, you get up tomorrow, say this prayer. Lord, help me to see me the way you see me. And Lord, help me see them the way you see them. If I can find the proper perspective, if I can find the proper view who God thinks I am. If I can find that proper view of who God thinks they are and wrestle with that and live in that. I think what's born out of that is humility. I don't know that I agree with the definition we started with with humility. I don't think it's having a low opinion of yourself. I think it's having the proper opinion of yourself. If you're good at something, people need to tell you you're good at something. But it's not about you being good at something. It's you taking that something you do good and doing it for someone else, for his glory. Making it about others when others want to make it about you. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much, so, 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 so much that you sent Jesus to earth. Because by sending him to earth, you gave us this incredible example of how we should live. And the example that we found in how we should live by looking to your son is this idea of humility. It's that every time people wanted to make it about Jesus, he made it about somebody else. He knelt down to serve someone else. He knelt down to talk to or heal the person that nobody else would talk to. He pointed them back to you, the Father. Every single time they tried to make it about Him, He made it about someone else. And so God, today, I pray for myself and these incredible people sitting in this room 
God, you would help us to do the same. That every time somebody tries to make it about us, we would figure out a way to make it about somebody else. God, help us to identify the places in our life. Maybe it's insecurity. Maybe it's hurt and pain. Maybe it's a lack of affection or affirmation. But help us to identify the places of our heart and life that push us. They prompt us. They almost compel us to humble brag or just straight up brag. God, would you let us live and do life for the sake of other people? Deflecting attention towards them. Deflecting attention towards you for your glory and your honor. For the sake of others. God, let us play no role bigger than you desire for us to play so that you receive all the glory and so that others have their needs met. God, let us turn our attention towards others. Let us find ways to give our life away for the sake of others. And let us recognize our role. That you are the name above every name the glory of God the Father. Let us serve others well so that they see you. In Jesus' name we pray.